Happy Palm Sunday, the day that people actually liked Jesus. Um, and they maybe had no idea that they were worshiping him as a king, but we know, right? We know what's up. He was a king. He is a king. And we are the people who acknowledge him as king. And so uh, it's crazy to think that a bunch of years ago, in five days, the greatest thing that ever happened in your life and my life happened when Jesus died on the cross. And then in seven days, completely obliterated death. And so um, I, like, I just want to thank him for that because I personally, it's crazy to think that the greatest thing that's ever happened in my life happened 1900 and something years ago. But that's true because that's what we believe. That's how we see him. He is our king. He is the one who paid the ultimate price for us. And so, uh, so I'm just going to pray and thank him. Um, and, uh, and as I do, let's just, let's just kind of let that be our mentality. Like, here we are. Like, the God of the universe sent his son to earth. His son paid the ultimate price that we deserve. And now we have life, real life. So we're going to thank him for that. Cool? Cool. God, um, I don't think this story will ever get old. I truly believe that, 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 that when you died on the cross, God, that what you did was so brilliant and it was so good and it was so, I don't even know, like adjectives are at a loss because it's just, I don't know. You're just that good. So Father, I thank you so much that even though I literally should have been on that cross, that you went there for me, that I should have been the one punished for what I did wrong, but instead you were the one punished for what I did wrong. And so we just thank you. You're brilliant. I mean, justice and mercy coming together, that's nuts. But the fact that you are still just, but in your love, you would lay down your life. Man, thank you so, so, so much. Um, I pray that today as we look at your word, um, that you would speak through your word, that your power would be the thing that overwhelms our heart and that your scripture, like it's spoken for the last 2000 years here on this planet, boldly would go into our hearts and change us from the inside out. Please, Father, we want more of you. We want more of your kingdom. We want more of the understanding of how to follow you. And I pray that you would give us um, exactly what it is that you want to tell us today. Just have your way with us, God, like Josh prayed. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So I, this week I heard a pastor say something that kind of rocked my world a little bit. And he said that a lot of people like Jesus. A lot of people dig the way he was with kids. They like miracles. They like maybe some of the other things about Jesus. They like the fact that Jesus died on a cross for them. A lot of people like Jesus. But not very many people want to be like Jesus. Not very many people want to live the life he lived. Not very many of us are willing to pay the price the suffering of Jesus. And in 1 John 2, 6, we see that that's our aim. 
that as believers, we are not here to like Jesus. We are here to be like Jesus. 1 John 2, 6 says, whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. Whoever says that they have life in him must walk in the way he walked. And as we go through today, I want us to realize that we don't just worship Jesus as our savior, but we look to him as our role model. And that changes everything for us. Because it means that when we come to Jesus, we lay down what we used to think our life should look like. We let go of control over needing our life to look like something, over needing to have certain things. We let go of what we think is ours. And the reason is not because we're some sort of weird people, but because we have a role model in Jesus who we follow, and Jesus laid down his life. And if we're going to follow Jesus, then we must lay down our life as well. And so as we dive back into 1 John 3, 11 to 18, there's two different realities that come up. And, and uh, as we turn there right now, I want us to think about this. Think about this. Cain is not an atheist in this story. Cain believes in God. He wants to be accepted by God based on what he does. But he's still trying to get to God. He's still trying to gain some sort of approval with God. But the way that that leads him is not to lay down his life but to kill. And there are two different patterns that emerge in 1 John all throughout the book. And the pattern is either you're following the pattern of Jesus and you're practicing, seeking habitually to practice following Jesus or you practice lawlessness habitually. And when you practice lawlessness habitually, it leads to death. That anyone who claims to abide in Christ must walk in the way he walked. We must lay down our life, as it talks about here in 1 John 3, 11. So it says this, for this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his, and his brothers righteous. Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, 
and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our life for the brothers. Okay, pause. We know that we have life in him if we love the brothers. We know what love is that he laid down his life and we ought to lay down our life for the brothers. Cain, in his hatred, would have neglected Abel. But it went so far that he actually killed him, and that's a continuation of a pattern. But I want us to understand something. Jesus' love is an example to us, not just trying to convince us that we can believe in an event that happened 2,000 years ago, and that that will give us salvation, that at the end of our life, we're going to come before God and God's going to be like, absolutely, you believed in a historical event. Well done. Because what happens is that as we believe in Jesus, we can't help but get this out of our heads that, man, that's just such a great way of living. That's the it. That's the kingdom. And as it says later in 1 John, in 1 John 3, 17, he'll talk about this. At 3, 17 and 18, he'll talk about this. How in the world could we ever think that we actually love one another if we have possessions, if others have needs? But we harden our heart and we literally shut our heart off from the needs of our brothers. How is it that we can have the love of God? That's not walking like Jesus. That's not love as classified by Jesus. No, we are those who do not build our own kingdom because there's a greater kingdom to build. And that's where we invest ourselves. We let go of money. We let go of, of, of thinking that we need to have a certain future. We let go of the reality that we can isolate ourselves from each other. And in the process, we let go of what is fake life to gain eternal, real life. And so when he talks about this in 3.17 and 18, he says this. He says, But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. Now, this is something that the early church was kind of smacked in the face with. Because most of the time when we think about persecution, and we look back to that, to that era of persecution, we think of somebody dying, right? We think of like a martyr. So we think of persecution as somebody literally dying for their faith. Most of the time persecution, hadn't, most of the time persecution was things like economic or social and so the brothers and sisters in the early church, the way that they fleshed out this idea of dying to themselves and for their brothers, the way that it fleshed out for them is in a certain way of viewing their possessions. And we've talked about this before, but it, it, was, it was a way to view your possessions 
and it's in Acts 4.32, and I'll read it. Um, And this is fascinating because I'm not saying the early church was better than us necessarily, um, because if you read 1 Corinthians, you'll know that's not true. But the truth is that the early church was needing to flesh out certain things like we are. And so they're trying to understand what is... What does it look like for me to care about the needs of my brother or sister and lay down my life in that? It may not be what you think. Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul. And no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. Here's what happened. They realized that to follow Jesus was a daily laying down of our lives and thinking that, that, man, I have to live for this world. I've got to get a good job. I've got to buy a house. I've got to make sure that I get more things. I've got to make sure, I've got to have an iPad, dude. You got to have one for school. You, you start to think in certain ways because you're trained to think in certain ways. The world teaches you that what you have is yours and you need to use it for the benefit of you. But Jesus did something kind of crazy. And he let go of that. And he said, I want you to live the way that I did. The way that I lived was to lay down my life. And I want you to lay down your life. So the brothers and sisters back then, what they said was, okay, what I claim to own, I don't own. I don't have ownership of anything. It all belongs to this greater eternal kingdom. And God being the king of this kingdom earned this kingdom through his own blood and now everything I have, it's his. Everything belongs to him. It's his. And so these believers, they didn't have a problem saying, okay, if you have a need, sweet, here it is. Why? Because when they looked out over at each other, they realized, man, my life's not even my own anyway. I need to lay down my life as a mimicker of Jesus. And so they gave to each other as one had need. And still more, all throughout the New Testament. This is, this is what blew my mind as I was studying this. I was thinking to myself like, oh man, where am I going to find passages about giving to fellow believers? And, and then as a Bible college kid, I was super humbled by the fact that they're all over the stinking place. Like you see it at the end of almost every New Testament book. Paul's like, hey, remember when I told you that you need to give for this church? Oh, right, yeah. All that stuff happens. And it's like, boom, 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 all over the New Testament. But yet somehow or another... For me, being a Christian, being in the church now for about 13 years, being a a true believer following Jesus for about nine, somehow or another, I have not gotten this through my head. Somehow or another, like, being open-handed with a fellow believer who is in need is not a reality that I think I've ever lived out. But if I want to be like Jesus then this is a reality that I I have to live out of joy and understanding what it is that God has done here. So 2 Corinthians 8, 
is another passage I want to read to us. And I was telling Josh this, like, between the services, that last service I was, um, I, I felt like it went great, whatever, but, but man, I was like, Josh, I really want 2 Corinthians 8 to come through. Like, I think this is it. I think this is the heart. So if you want to know what the heart of this looks like, pay attention. 2 Corinthians 8, 1 to 15. It's long, but hopefully my voice doesn't just drown out or make you fall asleep. And if it does, praise God, you need sleep. 2 Corinthians 8, 1. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. Accordingly, we urged Titus that as he started, so he should complete among you this act of grace. But as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. I say this not as a command to you, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. Okay, this, the rest of this, just listen to the heart of God that he is trying to infuse into us. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. And in this matter, I give you my judgment, this benefits you. What a year ago started not only to do this work, but also to desire to do it. So now finish doing it as well so that your readiness in desiring it may be matched by your completing it out of what you have. For if the readiness is there, it is acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what he does not have. For I do not mean that others should be eased and you burdened, but that as a matter of fairness, your abundance at the present time should supply their need, so that their abundance may supply your need, that there may be fairness. As it is written, whoever gathered much had nothing left over, and whoever gathered little had no lack. I hope that this, well, I hope that this ruins some of our thinking about this. Because when he starts to talk about fairness, A lot of us who are American, this little thing rises up in us and it says this, I earned it. It's mine to play with. I built this kingdom. It's mine to rule over. That is not Jesus. That is the world that you were raised in. 
if we want to be like Jesus, our abundance, and I'll let us examine our hearts as to what that means for us. Our abundance is not designated so that we might use it all. Here's the thing that starts to happen. When the community of faith starts to take care of each other's basic needs, you start to realize that there's joy in giving and living within a kingdom that takes care of each other. Now, as Americans, as people who were raised to believe that every single, that equality is more about opportunity than it is about what you have. That's an American thought process. That within the kingdom of God, you and I, if we want to lay down our life and follow Jesus, not just like Jesus, not just appreciate him for dying on the cross for us, because it gives us another thing to put inside of our coffer, eternal life. But if we truly want to follow Jesus because we believe in the kingdom that will never end, then this is where we have to challenge our own heart that says, what I earn is mine. No. Everything we thought we owned we gave to get something we could never gain. And that is eternal life. Understand this, please. If we want to follow Jesus, we can no longer see what we own as our own. Because that's not Jesus, because Jesus, for our sake, became poor though he was rich. Now, here's the thing. So as we think about following Jesus, not just liking Jesus, not just appreciating him for the cross, here's where we go. Okay. then I'm going to take right now in my mind and I want you to examine yourself in this. I want you to look at your own heart. Are you hardening your heart and closing off your heart to following Jesus because you're too attached to a way of thinking that actually allows you to lay down your life? Examine your heart. Do you really belong to those who claim to be followers of Jesus? Or right now, are you simply liking Jesus? Because 1 John says we can know that we have life in him. We can know it. And the way we know it is that we pattern our life after Jesus who laid down his. Now, 
I know that sometimes it's easier for us to give to things that are distant to us because it doesn't require any more effort than just to simply give a check. And, uh, and I, I don't want you to get the picture that somehow or another, that because we lay down our lives for the brothers, we don't also lay down our lives for our neighbors because Jesus modeled love in that. We also give to things like, we give to things like Dahlia House. We do that, absolutely. But the question is, can we love the person who's sitting in front of us and next to us, who lives in our home with us, who lives next door to us, who works in the cubicle next to us? The question is, can we say, okay, Jesus, my life is yours. Not just two weeks when I go to another country and then come back to my life. Can we say it? Can we do it? And I acknowledge, like, in this room right now, I bet you there are people who are struggling financially in a way that you and I may not even understand because we have never struggled that way. And I, and I want to acknowledge, like, 2 second, second Thessalonians 3, if you guys want to know more about this, Thessalonians is awesome because it's just like, it's just Paul laying out all these things about, about how believers should live. And then there were some people in Thessalonica, which is who that was written to, who were kind of like getting lazy and they refused to work even though they could. And Paul says to those people, if you refuse to work, I think you need to eat your own bread. If you can work and you refuse to work, then on this one, then we are not to be a burden to each other. But there are also people here who would love to work and aren't. There are people here who are struggling to make ends meet. And the question is, those who have need, will we humble ourselves and acknowledge that need to our brothers and sisters, number one? And then those who have abundance, can we please realize that that abundance may not be designated for another toy. But there may be someone who is hurting right now and God has designated you as a part of his kingdom to set that aside for them, to meet the needs of the brothers and sisters that you have because you have said my life is not my own. And if you're somebody who's in need, that communication card is a great way to make that known. But if you're a part of a gospel community around here, pray. Ask them to pray and see if they should meet that need. You don't have to ask. I understand, but maybe you should. We are not those who run away from humility. We are those who recognize that we had need and Jesus met it. And now that grace flows through us. If you have need, 
write it on the communication card, but an even better way is to talk to your gospel community if you have one. Pray about what that would look like. Even just asking for prayer is a way to step into that. And the other one is this. For most of us, we have more than we need. Will you examine your heart, look at your life right now and say, okay, if people in my community are gonna raise needs to be met, then those of us who have abundance, we need to be able to say, okay, well, here's the abundance. I'm really, really glad that in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus didn't quit going to the cross because it was hard. I'm really glad for that because what he did gave us something that we could never gain ourselves. And if you have abundance, I wanna challenge you to write that on the communication card too. Or if you're in a gospel community, it's okay to make that known. To say, hey guys, I want you to know, even though this five grand that's in the savings account that I have right now, that's designated for something else, I want you to know that I will forego that thing because I know that you matter. And I know that to Jesus, he says to me, be an example of me. Not just, not just act like you like me, but actually do what I would do with that $5,000. Actually let yourself mourn your own death and then move on towards joy and generosity. Let yourself feel it if you need to. If you have to let go of yourself so much that you need to have your own funeral, let's do it. But the idea is that as we follow Jesus, we've given up our life and we now live in him. And it says in Colossians 3, it says this beautiful phrase, it says, our life is now hidden with Christ in God. That our kingdom is not here on the earth, but our kingdom is to come and it's forever and it's brilliant. We don't live for something temporary. You don't live for your house or your car. You wanna know why? Because if you do, unfortunately, it's going to drag you into death with it. Your car is going to be dust. Some of you think it already is. But you've got to realize something. We live for a kingdom that is to come down to earth one day. And we live for that kingdom here on earth now that everything that you own is not your own. You own nothing. You have given that when you came to Jesus. And now you say to him, okay, I believe real life is found in you. I believe joy is found in generosity. I believe that I can give myself to you, God, and I get something way better. And if you believe that and you see Jesus as your king, then we need to band together, those of us who follow him, and start to live out what the New Testament shows us. And so right now, this is the perfect timing to give offering. No, it's not. But the, the thing is, we're going to do the offering. And, and at the same time, like, I understand, like, 
I'm totally the American cynical dude who walks up and thinks like, oh yeah, they totally just want some money. That's why the dude just talked about money. Like, that's stupid. And at the same time, I'm not going to lie to you, dude. Jesus doesn't just want your money. He wants your money. He wants your future. Because he's going to give you something so much better. This isn't some awkward transaction. He's just trying to show you, like, follow me. And I will show you life like you never knew. You want to know what you're missing? Life like you never knew. And so as we give, I don't want you to give out of like a feeling of sobriety. Like I said, if, if you're feeling like, man, I, I want to do this, but it just hurts so bad, maybe you should wait. Because God does appreciate somebody who gives out of joy in recognition that, that man, like there's so much joy in being able to give up what I don't own anyway. And so right now, as we give, I want us to give with that mentality of, okay, I don't own what I think I own, but I'm going to follow Jesus, what, what it is that I have been allowed to steward in the world. And so at the communication cards, please, if you, if you do have need, please write on those. Um, if, if that's not something that you're ready to do yet, that's totally okay too. Um, but, but even just for prayer, please. Um, and those of you who do have abundance, I mean, this is where we're at, right? We're going to follow Jesus. And that's what we want to do. So let's follow him. Jesus, we know that, um, yeah, we just know what we have that's coming to us, and it's amazing. We know that we have life now in you that is so good and so beautiful and so wonderful, but, but we know that there's a kingdom to come that we truly live for, that we give up everything for, and that we're willing to set aside whatever. So I pray that those who have abundance in here would be moved to live like you and give and give. And I pray that those of us who have need and I pray that we would be humble and submissive and realize that, man, we're all just sinners anyway. We all just needed something from God. So we're all the people who acknowledge that we have need. And this is just one way to acknowledge with your community and show off the grace of God. So I pray that we would, that we would do that, God, with humility and love. In Jesus' name.